In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. Let us now, in our prayer this afternoon, go to the Gospel of St. Luke, chapter 10, where the evangelist describes that famous, famous scene, that passage about uh, a man who was on his way to Jericho and was robbed by brigands. He was going from Jerusalem to Jericho. It's an account that the Lord told us to teach us how we must really live charity, the extreme kindness that he expects of all of us. You know the passage Jesus recounts. A man was on his way down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of brigands. They took all he had, beat him, and then made off, leaving him half dead. Now a priest happened to be traveling down the same road, but when he saw the man, passed by on the other side. In the same way, a Levite, who came to the place, saw him and passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan traveler, who came upon him, was moved with compassion when he saw him. He went up and bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them. He then lifted him on his own mount, carried him to the inn, and looked after him. Next day he took out two denarii and handed them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and on my way back I will, I will make good any ex extra expense you have. Which of these three do you think proved himself a neighbor to the man who fell into the brigand's hands? Of course, we know the answer, the one who took pity on him. Jesus said to him, go and do the same yourself. Took pity on him. We understand this to be an expression of charity and, and uh, following other fathers, St. Augustine identifies the Good Samaritan with our Lord. The man who has been attacked with Adam and he is the source and symbol of the fallen mankind. He's laying there, he's Adam and the Lord comes to pick him up and rescue him and save him because he is moved by compassion and pity he comes to earth to cure our wounds. Indeed, he makes them his own. As St. John says, in this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. That's how the Lord showed us his love. But somehow we have to understand how we are called to this. 
we know that this was a Samaritan who came down upon this man. And we know that there was tension between the Samaritans and the Jews. The Samaritans had accepted the, the, book, the five books of Moses, some of the prophecies, but they rejected all the historical books. And uh, they had accepted some pagan practices, and they rejected the Temple of Jerusalem, the holiest temple. Instead, they worshipped in a place called Mount Gerizim. For the Jews, this was anathema that they should do this. So there was hostility. But today, this man, who in theory should have been hostile to this man, who would have been a Jew, or we assume that he is a Jew, instead just has this compassion on him. Some robbers came and left this man half dead. Who were these robbers? Robbers can be other evil people that enter into our life. But there are other things that can rob us and leave us half broken or flattened. Obviously, robbers have their work to do and they're never kind. They're always self-interested. They rob him because they want to get something out of this man. And I would suspect that when this, this man first met these robbers, he must have tried to defend himself, but he was, he was somehow overwhelmed. There were too many of them. They were stronger. And maybe at the end, he just gave in. He just couldn't defend himself. And that's why he lay there half dead. But when the Samaritan came, how kind he was. He went right up to him. He helped him. He spent time with him. I'm sure also that there would have been a conversation between the Samaritan and this man. And I'm sure that a bond would have formed. I suspect that the guy that he helped was not necessarily unconscious. Maybe at first he was, but as he was being cared for, he sort of came to. And they were not enemies. Indeed, if the Samaritan was willing to give his money for him and his time, it was not just because it was the right thing, but probably because he had learned this man's name, he had learned something about his history, his family. In fact, I would suggest that they became fast friends. The man would have thanked him often and, you don't need to do this, I'm sorry that you're... No, it's okay, I'll, I'll take care of you. And then, you know, do you have a wife? Do you have children? Uh, what are you doing here? What happened? And, and he would have recounted how the robbers uh, overtook him and there were three or four of them, however many, and maybe they had some, some weapons. And the Samaritan would have been moved by that, that story. So they made friends. They made friends, probably largely due to the kindness of the Samaritan. So charity was not just something abstract. The robbers, of course, took off. They did not see him as a friend. He was just a guy that they took advantage of. Even if maybe they could have had a lot in common with him. So perhaps as we picture that scene of these two guys making friends, 
the Samaritan helping him, but I think the, you know, the, the victim there probably helped the Samaritan too. Maybe he told him things about his life and he said, you know, whenever you come in, uh, you know, I live in Jericho, I live in this neighborhood, whenever you come in, come, you know, my, my wife would be happy to prepare you a great meal. You know, and they started to, to, to bond. And so, maybe if we apply this to ourselves, we can ask our Lord also to give that same generosity, that kindness, that warmth that we want to have. But we have to see, of course, at the same time, what are the robbers of my life? I mean, I don't suspect any of you has been robbed on Bloor Street or something and left half dead, but, but there are robbers that weaken us, that break us down, that harm us in our life. There are robbers around us. And I would suggest that perhaps one of the robbers, one of the brigands of our life, is just sheer busyness. How often does that happen? So, how are you doing? Busy. You know, I'm busy. You know? It's when you say that, I'm busy. You're kind of like saying, and I don't have time to talk right now. <laughs> I have to go and, and uh, do these important things. So it's clear that if the Samaritan and this this victim became friends, clearly the robbers were not his friends. And busy is not our friend. Because busyness makes us feel overwhelmed. It makes us feel tired. It makes us feel inadequate. We can't seem to control all the things we have to do. I mean, if busy were a person, would you spend all day with that person today and then all day with that person again tomorrow? Would you spend a lot of time with Mr. Mrs. Busy? Well, if it's overwhelming you, if it's making you feel tired and inadequate, I don't think so. How much do I spend time with busy? Busy? is not your friend. They say that we judge a tree by its fruits. Well, the fruits of busy are overwhelmedness, weariness, tiredness, burnt out, worn out, resentful, discouraged, anxious, stressed, and it can leave us literally lying on the side of the road or lying right there in the hallway, there just in front of the, uh, you know, the washing machine right there. You know, you're lying there. <laughs> you know. Which of these fruits do you want in your life? Burnt out? Do you want tired? Do you want resentful? When you're asked, what one word would you use to describe how you feel on a daily basis. Just living here. What's one word? Today, if you made a poll, what's one word about how you feel pretty much every day? And a lot of people, I'm sure, would say overwhelmed. Well, it's a good thing to ask us. If we can ask that guy on the side of the road, I think he felt overwhelmed. He was certainly overwhelmed by those robbers. What about you? How often do you feel overwhelmed? 
do you sometimes feel that there are not enough hours in the day to get everything done? Are you overwhelmed with things that really matter? Or are you overwhelmed with things that won't mean anything in a couple of weeks? When we are overwhelmed with things that we know don't really matter, when we're overwhelmed by those things, then, well, we become stressed. And then we become resentful. Imagine spending your time on things that don't really matter. So it's not just that we're busy, but, with the, but it means that we're be busy with the wrong things. And we all know the feeling of exhaustion at the end of a day when you've worked on hard on the right things, the good things. That's good busy. That's good busy. You just do your three Hail Marys, you go to bed and you're dead. You're just like, you're dead to the world. You have a good sleep. You sleep deeply. And certainly there is satisfaction in that tiredness. But we also know the exhaustion that comes from doing lots of nothing important. And that exhaustion is heavy, it's draining. It's like scrolling through Instagram or, you know, when we do that much more than we ought to be doing. Or texting others about silly things. Or fretting too much about inconsequential worries about the future or maybe over-preparing some task, getting too wound up about the details, or maybe you have to give a means of formation and, and you're just like, you, know, you over-prepare. Busy, that bad kind of busy, leads to overwhelmed, and then overwhelmed leads to this weariness, and that weariness leads to being discouraged, and discouragement leads to a feeling of inadequacy and resentfulness. Anything or anyone that makes you feel that way is too small for you. That is not your friend. And maybe we should keep that in mind the next time we feel pressured to say yes to something that you know you should say no to. Maybe we just think, no, I have to say yes. I have to be totally available. Well, that's nice, but maybe there's just... A limit. And the, the priest and the Levite who walked on the other side of the road, I don't think they were evil persons. Maybe they were just in a rush to get to Jericho. Maybe they were the ones that were overwhelmed. They had important things to do, they thought. They calculated, okay, if I stop here and, and deal with this guy, well, then I can't get home and I can't do, uh, you know, I can't watch my favorite program. I can't do, you know, whatever, whatever inconsequential things they had to do. They thought to themselves, well, look, I have important responsibilities. Or maybe they thought I don't have much expertise in dealing with this guy. But after all, what can be more important than dealing with a guy that is half dead or dying there? on the side of the road. Are there really more important things? I mean, ultimately, compared to that, everything else is inconsequential.
is as though their judgment was clouded because of the stress of being overwhelmed. They were rushing, they had to go to a reception, they had to go to something, and they were worried about people saying, why are you late? Oh, you know, maybe a, a nagging wife or something like that, I don't know. But it's clear that you could imagine that both of them were overwhelmed. And that's not the kind of overwhelmed or overwhelmedness that we want to have. But the Samaritan, he was moved with pity. Not because he knew this guy, he didn't know the guy. But deep down because he saw his innate dignity. He saw this as a child of God. He saw that he had this deep dignity even though he was lying there in a pool of blood. He saw him as a true neighbor. He saw the importance of what he had in front of him. Even though he probably had urgent things to do. But those things could wait. I don't think the Samaritan was some stellar, perfect guy. He had emotions. He had his passions. He seemed to be very conscious of the fact that that guy in front of me has a soul. Maybe he didn't accept, accept everything that the Jews believed, but he knew that souls were present in, that each, each Jew had a soul even though he had a difference in beliefs. And that conviction of the dignity of that man there, that he had a soul, that he was loved by God, that's what moved him to act. And he also saw the soul of the other the, right there just seeping through his eyes. This is a man I have to help. So, do I see souls there in front of me in my exchanges with those who I work with, with the young girls that come here? Do I see a soul? And, of course, the soul is a piece of you that is of infinite value, infinite dignity. And... Uh, that dignity does not increase or decrease with age. It doesn't get bigger or smaller depending on your size or strength or anybody's size or strength or their abilities. I mean, rich and successful people don't have more or less soul than the poor or the less successful people in life. A rich person doesn't have more of a soul than poor person. So that soul that we have ourselves is the piece of your own consciousness that has moral worth and bears moral responsibility. That's what we have to nourish. We have moral responsibility for the girls that come here, for your sisters in the work, for anybody ultimately that you engage in. I mean, a river is not morally responsible for how it flows. A tiger is not morally responsible for what it eats. But because you and I have a soul, you and I are morally responsible for what you do or what you don't do. 
the Levite and the priest were morally responsible for passing by. The Samaritan too, but he did the right thing. He was moved with pity. And because each person that we encounter has a soul, we say that each person is owed a degree of respect and goodwill from us. And one way to nurture that is to forge bonds with others. If we could look through our life and we'd see the bonds that we have forged in our life, the people we become friends with, we do that because we see the dignity of the other person. And we have to look, you know, how, how are my friendships going? How am I forging those relationships? In many, way, many ways we could say that that's among the most important things in our life, the bonds we forge. You know, you all heard that Father Joe Soria passed away on Monday. And uh, he had been in a, in a sick, he had a sickness after his stroke for quite a few years. And he had to have a caregiver who took care of him. And uh, we got some testimony uh, afterwards that showed that the people that took care of him, they deeply loved him, deeply loved him. And they cared so much for him. And they were right there when he died. And, oh, there were many people around when he died. And I was told that the, when he was breathing his last, he breathed his last with much serenity and peace. And the moment after he died, the priest there began to say the pray the response for the dead. He just. He had just passed away, but he couldn't finish. He couldn't finish. He was too overwhelmed with uh, emotion because it's as though that priest there had forged so many, so many relations, so many bonds with others, particularly there, of course, where he had been for so many years in Vancouver. And that's because he nurtured those relationships. He understood that each of these people had souls. And so we must see how we can be like the Good Samaritan, not just externally being kind, which of course we have to be, but nurturing those bonds. When all is said and done, when we shake off the dust and the rubble of our life, that's the only thing that will remain. And when we're dead, people will remember. Maybe there'll be a eulogy. And they'll say, well, he was or she was like this. She did this. She, I remember when she said that. And then the bonds will continue when they pray for us. As we should now pray for Father Joe. Because even if this half-dead guy on the road seems to be poor and helpless... He did not have less dignity eh, than, than anybody else we might meet. And this is somehow uh, what this Samaritan understood. Because the consciousness of the dignity of those around us can sometimes become blurred or even vanish. 
and we ourselves allow our own soul in some way to go into its own recluse. So let us ask uh, the Blessed Mother to give us, of course, that kindness, but of course to impel us to a deeper sense of bonds and to nurture those friendships. I mean, our apostolate is an apostolate of friendship and confidence because we, we deeply see the dignity of the people around us, the persons, the human beings. And like the Good Samaritan, some of them we will have to bandage their wounds. There are people with wounds around us. And when we bandage them, when we heal them and give them a sense of purpose and meaning, they, are, they begin to pick up. They can start talking. Like that, like that man on the side of the road. He began to talk. And, uh, and, a, and a powerful friendship was formed. Let's ask our Blessed Mother for this beautiful capacity. And uh, she'll intercede for us so that we learn the true meaning of friends, we become friends ourselves, and we see the infinite value of the soul in front of us. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations you've communicated to me in this meditation. I ask your help to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.